Hey, we're continuing our study in the book of Matthew. This is the good guy quest for eternal life, traditionally called the rich young ruler teaching. We're in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 26. Will you stand as we read the word of God together? We honor God by standing when we read his word. Starting in verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, Go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us to study the inerrant, infallible word of the living God. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to us today truths that we need to hear. And I pray that everyone in this room and everyone who hears this talk will be touched in some way by the great God of heaven and lives will be changed. I ask you that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised King. The King is coming. The King is coming. Praise God. He's coming for me and you and us. He's coming. Yes, He is. Now, last week we talked about the wonderful subject of divorce. And I'm glad we're past that. Uh, We talked about three reasons for divorce. Remember, Jesus gave the number one reason. He said sexual immorality. And I don't know if you remember what word sexual immorality is in the Greek, but it is pornea. It is any sexual act outside of the marriage covenant. That is a sin against God. And then scripture also adds, Paul adds death of of a spouse and desertion of the unbelieving spouse. Now, I also mentioned last week, just in review, or last time we met, Marriage essentials. Look, if you're going to get married as a Christian person, you must be married equally yoked with your partner. Not unequally yoked. So please remember that is an absolute. Kingdom of light and kingdom of darkness have nothing in common. Eventually that will cause all kinds of problems like a magnet with the ends not properly attached, repelling one another. If you're in the same kingdom, boom, stuck together. Okay, so just remember that. The other thing I said to look for is that a man should be able to support his wife. Before you're ready for marriage, the man should be ready to support his wife and the man should be able to supply or provide a home for his bride. Those are the three requisites. Then we talked about how to survive marriage. We talked that it takes about grit and commitment. Every marriage is a struggle. Now, I don't care how long you've been married, how you go through this whole thing, it takes grit, it takes commitment, it takes an I'm not going to quit attitude. And then we talked about how to make your marriage 
not just survive, but thrive. And I had the triangle that we put on the overhead here. And if you remember, as you grow closer to God, husband and wife, you will grow closer together. Very important. Husbands, if you stay in your role, the stronger the relationship with the husband has with the Lord, the more he is able to, to give his bride love, service, compassion, gentleness, and faithfulness. His job is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. If he does this, his wife will be able to do, to do her role, and that is submit to her husband. The stronger the relationship the wife has with the Lord, the more she is able to give her husband respect, honor, service, and authority to lead the family as unto the Lord. So if you want your marriage to be strong, if you want to have a chance, if you want to have the best marriage possible, do it God's way. It is just that simple. Now we have this thing in our world today. It's a disposable society. If it's uncomfortable, get rid of it. If I don't like it, get rid of it. Cash it in. I can replace the old model with the new. And I want you to remember that God hates divorce. Malachi 2.16. And Jesus said in Matthew 19.6, Therefore, what God has joined together, super glued together, let no one separate. So that's the teaching on marriage last week. It was a lot longer than that. You got the clip notes. So this week we're going to talk about our quest for eternal life. Now I want to give you a little introduction here. As you know, people have been looking for how to have eternal life outside of God for eons of time. Ponce de Leon was looking for what? The fountain of youth. Oh, we all we extol youth in this culture. More on that in just a second. We take magic supplements, we have fad diets, we do everything to try to prolong and make this, look at, make this beautiful. <laughs> Every culture has done this. Alexander the Great, the great Greek ruler, he was looking for some magic bullet to prolong life. But today we have something that hasn't been heretofore, and that's technology. Technology and immortality. Now this is a quote, please listen to this. We've, we've often spoke of this man called Noah Harare and his experiences with trying to prolong life and his theories on how life is going to be prolonged. But listen to this guy. He kind of walks right, right along with Noah Harare. He says this. He's the Russian internet mogul, Dmitry Ishkov, believes that through his newest venture, he'll be able to give humans the ability to live forever through the 2045 initiative. Well, folks, I'm not going to be here in 2045. I'm going to be living forever. By the year 2045, Ishtof's group aspires to create, uh-oh, technology with a person's consciousness transformed into a hologram like human avatars. And have we heard this before? Yes, we have. Ishtof's idea might not be technologically possible now, but it doesn't mean it isn't plausible in the future. Clay Thomas, in his book, Immortal, elaborates on several things that people do to try to extend life. Number one is transhumanism. Now, this is science about nanotechnology, these little robots that put in your bloodstream and they go to cells and they create, create, correct DNA errors or any problems that are in your body. This is, and sweep toxins away and debris and that sort of thing, restore cell membranes. Now, this science is becoming more and more plausible. There's another one he talks about, brain uploading. 
Listen to this. A collection of memories, personality, mental states, and attributes of a specific individual is transferred from its original biologic host, you, into a computer. The goal is to upload your consciousness into a computer that you could load yourself into a new body or digital avatar. Isn't that nice? Yes. Men pursuing eternal life has gone on through the history of the world, but guess what? No one has been able to do it. Now, the rich young ruler this week, he wants to have eternal life. So he's on a quest for eternal life. The I did it my way quest. And he's going to encounter Jesus. And we pick up our teaching in verse 1 with the quest involves the I focus. Verse 16, excuse me, verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? What good thing should I do? Notice he, right out of the, right out of the box, he says, he addresses Jesus as good teacher. Good teacher. Now, what is he using here? He's flattering, isn't he? He's flattering, but he also doesn't recognize something. He does not have a clue who is standing before him. Not just good teacher. God is standing before him. The one who created him is standing before him. John 1.3, through him, Jesus, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. We know in Acts 17.25, we know that God, Jesus is God, he is the one that gives life and breath in all things. Job 12.10 says this, he's the one that holds our life in his hands. He has no idea with whom he is speaking, to the God of heaven. The rich ruler has simply joined the cry of humanity throughout the ages. How can I live forever? Jesus. Good teacher. Good teacher. Let me say this. Scripture could not be clearer on how you can live forever. I'll just give you one verse. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. We bring nothing to the table. No works that we have done. But by his mercy, he has saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he has poured out on us abundantly through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you live forever. So many people want to take a different road than the Jesus road. Jesus is going to respond about what this good guy needs to do. He needs to be perfect. He needs to be perfect. Now, let me explain something to you. There are two ways to get to heaven. You can be perfect and keep the Ten Commandments, all 613, never breaking one, never having an off thought, 24-7. This is what Jesus is saying here. Or you can be washed in the blood of the Lamb, cleansed from your sins, and be saved. No human can keep the Ten Commandments, and that's what Jesus is going to try to show this guy. So, watch what happens. Verse 17 through 19. So he said to him, why do you call me good? Now this guy thought he was good. Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter in the life, keep the commandments. Keep them all perfect. Never breaking one. Never having an off thought. He said to him, which ones? What arrogance. You shall not, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
And boy, does this guy think he is a good guy. Now, I don't know how many times you've talked to people about Christ, but it is an innumerable number of people that I've spoken to and say, what does it take to get to heaven? Well, God weighs my good and he weighs my bad and I'm a good person and I'm way better than that guy over there or that gal over there. So I'm going to merit heaven. Folks, that is wrong. R-O-N-G, wrong. (laughs) And that was wrong, wasn't it? Yeah, wrong. That was wrong. So Jesus' truth statement is this. No one is good but one. That is God. You are not good. To be good, one must keep all the Ten Commandments all the time perfectly. And let me just make a little statement. No can do. No can do. Nobody can do this. James 2.10 says it perfectly. For whoever shall keep the whole law, that's the Torah. That's the 613 laws. That's the first five books of the Bible. Everything written in those, in those books regarding the law and the right way to live. Keep it perfectly. 613 of them. And yet stumbling one point, he is guilty of all. Again, the, the law is viewed as a whole. If you break one, you've broken all of them in the eyes of a perfect, holy God. So what is Jesus doing here? He's trying to show this man, this good guy, the utter hopelessness of his condition. But he thinks he's so good and he's so righteous and I'm just a good person and that's going to be good enough. No, it is not. We are all sinners and need a savior. So what is the purpose of the law? Now, this isn't going to be a big treatise on, the, on what, why we have the law, but I want to give you a couple verses just to think about. Galatians 3.24 says this, the law was our tutor, our instructor, our teacher to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Faith alone in Christos, Christ alone. Romans 10.4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So no good guy can possibly be good in the eyes of a holy, pure, righteous God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the question is this, what is good? And I've already kind of described it. Good in the eyes of God is perfection, perfectly holy, like God himself. The problem is this, and I think you know what the problem is. You're not perfect, I'm not perfect. We are not perfect. We are all sinful. Romans 3.23 says it explicitly. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How many is all? All, 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 all. Look at the 8 billion people on earth. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, the problem is the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but oh, what about the gift? The gift, the gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. What a treasure. He just offers it to us. Please take it. Please take it. That's the heart of God. Take the gift. Good news, the gift is eternal life for all who will believe and receive the gift. You must believe and receive the gift to be saved. The good guy has a problem. He thinks he's perfect. He thinks he's good enough. He thinks he's righteous enough. And certainly, if there is a God there, he will certainly let me into his heaven because I'm great. I'm great. Well, in verse 20, the good guy thinks he's perfect. 
The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. I mean, what an arrogant statement. What do I still lack? What do I still lack? Now, what do we call this? We call this hubris, arrogance, pride. A man totally devoid of self-examination, of introspection, really looking at their condition. As Christians, we're told in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, we are to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. We are to test ourselves to see whether in our faith. Are we really following? Remember, Jesus said in, this, in the following verses, come follow me. Are you really following the master? Or are you just waving at the master as you walk away? What, what do you, you just think about that? We are pitif pitifully inadequate at self-examination, folks. The good guy must start to wonder as he's made this statement about how good and wonderful he is for everyone who thinks they are good people, that they're perfect. For everyone who thinks they're perfect, I have a visual for you that'll come up on the screen. This guy is going, what are you talking about? Now notice these lines of incredulousness right here. Now I am just ripped with these lines. I mean, I have, I used to have abs. Now I have right here, lines. <laughs> this is all my abs are now. But anyway, the incredulous look, I, th I thought that, that, that was funny to me. Anyway, <laughs> that was funny. Really? This is, that's the really look. Really? You got to be kidding me. Really? You perfect. Now, verse 21 and 22, the good guy response to Jesus is going to be, oh no, not that Jesus. Don't, don't touch that area of my life, Jesus. You really want me to deal with that? 21 and 22. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, and notice what he says, you can get to heaven if you're perfect. If you're perfect, go sell what you have and give, all to, the, and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Just let that resonate in your mind because that's what Jesus is doing. Come and follow, come and follow, come and follow. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Great possessions. Jesus hits him right in his good guy heart. Go sell what you have and give it to the poor. Go sell the stuff that you have treasured, the stuff that you have idolized, and give it to the poor. Then Jesus gives him an invitation an offer of salvation that he gave every person in this room. Every person that's sitting in my earshot now or is watching me or hears this on some other venue, Jesus has done this for you. Come, follow me. Leave this world behind. Come and follow me. You may give up your pitiful, fleeting, earthly treasures, but in exchange, folks, you're going to get treasures in heaven that's joy unspeakable. That's what awaits us. What is this guy struggling with? It's the same thing we all struggle with. It's the temporal, the temporariness of life here, and the eternal. The fleeting versus the for, forever. The good guy was, a, was attached to his good guy stuff. And I can't give this stuff up, Jesus, because this stuff is more important to me than you are. That's what he's saying. It's mere, this stuff is more important. My own, so many want to have it their way. They want to have their old life and then tag on a little bit of Jesus. 
I can live any way that I want, but just have a little Jesus insurance. Folks, Jesus says, come and follow. And if you're coming and following Jesus, that's a big significant step in your life. That is an important step. God will cause you to choose your idol or him. You cannot serve two masters. One will rule. One will have dominion. You cannot serve two masters. The good guy sees through worldview, temporary eyes, not spiritual, eternal eyes. Now, hopefully you remember this because I've mentioned this several times in past teachings. But your doctrine, the things that you have been taught, the things that you take in as truth, determines your worldview, how you see your world. Now, the next picture is going to come up here. The guy that's going to be, how you see your world. Okay? Your doctrine, your teaching depend, determines your worldview. Your worldview then determines your values. What you, tr- what you think is true, what you value in life. And your values will, auto, auto, will, will transfer into your conduct. How are you conducting your life? What you have been taught determines that. Now, you're in university, you're being taught something very contrary to God, and you're coming, many, many, many Christian people that have gone to university have deconstructed their faith and now see through a secular worldview instead of a biblical worldview. That is a tragedy. When you have 60, 70% of church kids, mission trip kids, youth group kids, college and career kids, and they get into university and some professor tells them about evolution and they just crumble right before your eyes and go, oh, I've been lied to all this time about Jesus. No, you haven't been prepared for university. You haven't been prepared for the lies that the world are going to be bringing at you. Seventy, And they deconstruct and they never come back to their faith. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. The young man was seeing through narrow eyes. Paul has something to say about the nearsightedness of man. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, We do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that we do not see are eternal. The young man went away sorrowful, and he gave up eternal for the temporary, the stuff that burns and turns to rust. That's what he gave up. He, gave, he chose that over eternal life with Jesus. There is a word called entropy. Entropy. And it is real. Everything good will one day turn to dust, turn to rust, be of no value. Now, a couple slides here. Entropy simply means going from order to disorder. This is a scientific fact. I do not know how somebody thinks that evolution happens and we're going from disorder to order. No, this is what happens. Everything is devolving. Now, the next picture gives you an example of your new car. You shine it, you buff it, you park it eight miles away from any other car. You know, three years later, you're squeezing into little narrow spots. It's got nicks on it and that sort of thing. And eventually, what happens? Entropy is our next picture. This always results in this. This is what the guy gave up for this. So I can hold on to my stuff that looks so pretty now, but eventually becomes this. Bad deal. Bad deal. But it's not just stuff. Entropy also applies to humans. I think you know that. (laughs) You're devolving. 
You can't stop the clock. You cannot stop the clock. It happens every and it's from the fall. This was not supposed to happen. <laughs> well, this, this was not it's all of us. We're all in this. This was not supposed to happen. You can you can dye your hair. You can dye your hair, you can dye your beard. You can get a facelift, you can get a butt lift. You can use Botox, use creams, apply makeup, take vitamins, whatever technology you want, but the process is in place. You are devolving. Now, isn't that cheery? Now, you won't, Joe Olstein will not tell you this, but this is the truth. We are devolving. It's not your best life now, folks. It is coming in the future. The rich guy loved his stuff, that rust. Now, I have a picture here of how we extol youth. We extol youth. Now, you have this, and people are Botoxing, doing everything they can to avoid this. You know, in some parts of the world, this is exalted. This is honored. This is wonderful. But in a culture that's all about themselves, we want to prolong our youth as long as we can. I got no problem with being healthy and that sort of thing, but realize, folks, no matter what you do to this, it's going to be this one day. Now, you can, you can do a Burt Reynolds, and you can get a facelift, and you can get all stretched out, or, or Kenny Rogers, or whatever, you know, all stretched out, and you, you drop a coin on your face, and they'll bounce like a... <laughs> you know, what's the, what, what looks the worst? I think we should grow old gracefully, folks. That's what I think we should do. When you see old, when you see run down, losing function, think it's a result of the curse. The sin curse. But one day, it will all be right. Remember Genesis 1.31? When God got done with the creation, and he looked at all of it, and he said, oh, this is very good. And then sin came in, and this mess that we live in today resulted. Jesus has something to say about entropy in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. Watch what he says. Do not, and you know what do not means in the Greek, don't you? It's an imperative. It is a command. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Uh Uh-oh, watch it. Where moth and rust destroy entropy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now we can say hip, hip, hooray. When we get into the kingdom, no entropy. No, and no devolving. We're just going to be perfect. Isn't that just a wonderful thought? I mean, we're going to be perfect specimens, not just physically, whatever that form will take. We're going to have bodies going into this thing, but they're going to be spiritual, new bodies, perfect bodies, but also perfect minds. Won't it be nice not to have weird, strange thoughts? I mean, I don't know about you, but it'll be really great not to think, where'd that come from? Good grief. Folks, this guy had a sad day when his veiled eyes stayed veiled and he did not see the light that was before him. Remember John 1, 9, the true light that gives light to every man coming into the world. Every human being knows Jesus contacts you. He touches you at some point and you know that he's real. And you have a decision to make. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Will you stiff arm Jesus? And walk away? 
Will you tell Jesus later and walk away? Will you take a chance, an eternal separation from Jesus and walk away? He comes at his time. He chooses the time, not you. You respond. God is always the initiator in salvation. Always. Remember, nobody really wants God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seeks after God. You'll hear that more in just a second. He refused to repent. Think about this. This good guy's only hope was rejected for the stuff that burns. Bad deal. Verse 23 through 26, Jesus warns about the riches having you. Then Jesus said to his disciples, and he says to us today, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Great question. But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men doing it your way, this is impossible. Oh, but with God, all things are possible. Folks, riches are not the problem. Having stuff is not the problem. Riches owning you is the problem. He makes the statement, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Why? Because of their attraction to their stuff diverts them away from their attraction for our God. The stuff owns them. I want to give you an illustration of this walking through the eye of the needle. We have a couple pictures here that will come up on the screen. Now, this is the eye of the needle, and this is a very tiny thing. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I think what Jesus was talking about is the next slide. Now, in Jerusalem, near the temple, this is called the needle gate. The needle gate. It's very narrow. It only allows one person to go through at a time. Now, I have a kind of a drawing here of a, of a, of a camel on the next slide. Now, this camel, in order to get through the needle gate, has to take all of the worldly baggage off to get through the needle gate, and then they crawl through the gate. Okay? Now, keep that picture there and keep that thought in mind as I read to you a quote from G. Campbell Morgan on this subject. There was a little gate called the needle gate that was actually a gate inside the main gate, the temple compound. It could be open to allow access and egress to one person at a time. The only way a camel could possibly get through the gate would, would be if the baggage was removed from his back and he crawled through the gate on his knees. He says this, I believe it's very possible this is what Jesus was alluding to, saying there is a way for a rich man to enter the kingdom, but only if he places no priority on his possessions and is willing to fall to his knees in humility and crawl through the gate. Interesting illustration. Rich or poor, we know this for sure. Rich or poor, status or no status, according to the world, we all come one way to our God as a child, humbly through Christ. And I might say this, every single human is equal at the foot of the cross. There is no hierarchy with God. He loves humanity. He loves humanity. There will be no arrogance in the kingdom. There will be no pecking order in the kingdom. I'm better than you. How great I am. That's not going to happen in Jesus' kingdom. That's a human fallen thing. The disciples see something. They see the impossibility of the situation. Who then 
can be saved. Who then can be saved? They ask a profound question. And Jesus' answer is clear. With men, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Jesus, loud and clear, is saying there's no way that a human being can save themselves. You cannot do it. There are 200 times in the New Testament and 98 times in the book of John when it tells you exactly and precisely what you must do to be saved, to have eternal life. And that is the word believe. 200 times in the New Testament, 98 times again in John, you believe. Now you know because you're Calvary Chapel students what the word believe is. It's pistio in the Greek. Why do I say that? Because it means more than mental assent. It means more than I recognize something. I believe that's there. The word means this. Commit to, trust in, follow the master. If you believe in the Lord Jesus, you are turning and you're following Jesus. That is why Jesus said, come and follow. Come and follow. He's really saying to this guy, come and believe in me. Come and follow me. That is what he is saying. Salvation from God's side, folks, is this. In salvation, God does all the work. God takes the divine initiative. God draws. Now, you know that I've mentioned this many times. John 6.44, Jesus says this, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Nobody's coming on their own. It has to be drawn by God. Jesus said in John 12.32, If I am lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. Where does hell cue out? So that means he's drawing. He's not forcing, but he is drawing. Okay? And then we, then we have a teaching in, in John 16, 8, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Every person that is on this earth will experience this at some time. Some form of it will come their way. Salvation from the human side. The human simply believes and receives the free gift being offered. No works are involved. No works. Contrary to some, believing and receiving a gift is not a work. It is not a work. So a summation of salvation. This is a quote from somebody. I forgot his name, so he's a somebody. We are saved when we simply believe, trust in, accept as true for me that Jesus is God's Son, the Savior for my sins. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Salvation is absolutely free apart from any condition or merit to earn it. It is a gift, a gift, a gift, free gift. The disciples' question is, who then can be saved? Jesus, with men this is impossible, with God all things are possible. Folks, hear this loud and clear. Salvation is a miracle of God. You want to see a miracle. You look at people around you. People want to say withered hand, you know, heal this, heal that. We're all, I want that. You want that. But the greatest miracle is taking someone dead in their trespasses and sins, separated from God, on their way to hell, in eternal damnation and separation from God, and coming in and having eternal life simply because they've received the gift and said, yes, I believe in you, Jesus. I place my trust in you. You talk about let's make a deal. That is the best deal going. Best deal going. Salvation is a miracle of God. God acts to save. 
sends his only begotten son to die for our sins. The human part is to believe and receive the gift. Now I have a couple pictures here. These are common pictures. You've seen these before. There's a gulf between man and God. Sin created this gulf. Impossible to breach. No good guys are good enough to broad jump, long jump, whatever you want to do with this. It only bridged by Jesus Christ. In Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, separation from God. Oh, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And all this guy has to do is say yes, and he walks to eternal, eternal life on the back of Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross for him. Now, the next picture just says this in Romans 10.9, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. With the heart, man believes on the righteousness and the mouth. Confession is made on the salvation. Folks, it's that simple. It's that, it's not, it's not a, God did not make it complicated. He did not make salvation complicated. It's the easiest thing to do to get into the kingdom. It's a whole different program living out the life for him. Phase two of salvation is where we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in sanctification, being conformed to the likeness of Christ. That's much more difficult than phase one, justification where Christ's righteousness is credited to you. But it's a lifelong journey. Guess what? We're never going to be perfect here. But we should be in a process, or we must be in a process of being conformed more and more to the likeness of Christ. More and more to the likeness of Christ. Some closing thoughts. Jesus cried to all humanity is this. Come and follow me. And remember the heart of God. The heart of God is just expressed so eloquently in Scripture. 1 Timothy 2.4 God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. All men to be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slack concerning His promises as some men count slackness, but is long, long-suffering. Long-suffering. Not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Macrothumia is patient with people. Long-suffering. God has been long-suffering with each one of us as we've gone through our lives. And then in Matthew 22, 37, Jesus saying to the people of Jerusalem, come to me, come to me. Watch what he says. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is, this is just really a day, a week before the cross, very close to the cross. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you, as, uh, gather your children as a hen gathers her chicks under wings, but you were not willing. And this was tragic, tragic. Jesus wanted to gather them and they rejected him and rejected him. Let me say this. Well, most of you guys are actually listening. I don't see. Good, good job. Students. Yes. Hear this. There is no neutral ground with Jesus. He said, you're either for him or against him. Hear what he says in Matthew 12, 30. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Now hear this loud and clear. Make sure there's no cloudiness in your thinking about this next statement. You demonstrate you are for him by following and obeying him. Did you hear that? You demonstrate that you are for him by following him and obeying him. C.S. Lewis has a statement, and we had this guy up this picture several times. 
It's not safe to ignore Jesus. And you know the lion that he has here. This is such a beautiful, Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Lewis says this, course he isn't safe. Folks, you have to come to Jesus. But he's good. Oh man, he's the king, I tell you. He's the king. It is not safe to ignore Jesus. It is not safe. He wants you to come. He's the king, I tell you. This is Jesus that I'm talking about. The king of kings and Lord of lords. The one that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those who are in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. Every created thing, angel, human, lost, saved, will bow before Jesus. We do it willingly. On our face before our Lord, we submit to you willingly, God, because we love you. One day, many, now listen to this, many simply do not believe the whole thing. They've bought into the rhetoric of the world or they've heard somebody else talk about doubts and that sort of thing. Is there a God? Is this God thing real? There's a lot of people that, particularly in this culture today, as we're running from the true God. Is this God thing real? Let's look at the evidence. Now, I want you to think about this. These are all C words. Start with a C. The cosmos screams a creator. What is the cosmos? The creation. The creation, the expanse of heaven. The massiveness of heaven, the complexity of the planets, the solar systems, the, the extreme space that is there, and it all works. The macro creation, the micro creation down to the cell level, screams a creator. The canon of scripture, what do I mean the canon? The Bible, how it was put together, screams a creator. 66 books. 40 authors written over 1,500 years with an integrated message from Genesis to Revelation that a Redeemer is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Savior is coming. It's written in three languages on three continents. Folks, there's nothing like the Word of God that you have in your hands. It is a treasure. It is a treasure. How about fulfilled prophecy? That broke the sea thing, but <laughs> screams a Creator. Fulfilled prophecy. This is the only holy book in the world. It's the only book in the world that something has been predicted in the past that came to fruition in the future exactly and precisely as it was predicted. No other book, no Koran, no Hindu Vedas, no Buddha writings, nothing from the rest of the world. Only Christianity has this. It screams a creator. Our conscience screams a creator. God has written his laws unto every heart. So wherever you go in the world, you know you don't take that guy's wife or that guy's whatever. You don't take anything. It's written on your hearts. He's written his law on our hearts. The conditions for life. This is from, from uh, Frank Turk's book, I Do Not Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. I got these, this following. Screams a creator. The universe is fine-tuned for life on earth. Perfect for humans. Perfect for humans. Then there's something in that book called the cosmological argument. Screams a creator. You know what that is? Please hear this. Einstein, brilliant guy. He had a theory of relativity, which recently has been more proven and given credence to. 
that space, time, and matter are co-relative. They came into existence at the same moment. At the same instance in time. This is Einstein. Validated by other physicists today. Now, with that, think about this. Whoever did this identifies himself as God. And whoever did this is spaceless, timeless, immaterial, all-powerful, and personal. That someone that great wants to know me and wants to have me and his family. Now, that's, that is an astounding thing. I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. That is an amazing thing. The cosmological argument goes something like this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. God. He identifies himself as God. How about Christ's resurrection? Screams a creator. The eyewitness testimony, the empty grave, the changed lives of the disciples that went from running cowards to heroes all dying for their faith. Screams a creator. No other world religion has a risen living Savior. None. Buddha's dead. Muhammad's dead. All the Hindu, they exist. They're all fabrications. And then finally, the continuation of the Jewish nation screams a creator. I don't know if you ever thought about this. I've mentioned it before if you've been here long enough. But it's the only people group that ever has been displaced from its land, spread throughout the world, it's called the diaspora, and then regained their land in May 14, 1948. They were given their land back. That screams a creator. No other people group in the history of the world has that happened to. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 66, 8. Who has heard of such a thing? Who has heard of such a thing? Never heard on this earth. Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in a day? Or shall a nation be born at once? The Jewish nation's survivability and thriveability is credence to the existence of God. It really is. Now, We've seen this picture multiple times. You get to see it again. It's a picture of the world around Israel. The world hates the Jewish people out of all the globe. All the globe. They have, this is just the area around Israel. They, they deny the Jews the right to have their land that God gave them. You can have the whole world, God says, but for my people... I carve out of the world a people for my name that live here. Now, these people have temporarily rejected Christ, and there's a whole reason for the tribulation period. I don't want to go into now. Now the church has the responsibility to disseminate the information about the true God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the world. But there will be a day when I believe the church is extracted and God will refocus on the nation of Israel, and they too will one day come to believe. The end of the tribulation period. Now a summation of our teaching. The rich young ruler, the good guy quest for eternal life is as old as mankind. God has put eternity in the hearts of men. Ecclesiastes 3.1 he has, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also put eternity into every heart. 
Everyone knows wherever you go, there's something more. There's something more to this than what we're living in now. Throughout time, mankind has attempted to prolong life and search for the fountain of youth. And now we're living in the technological age that attempts to prolong life and prevent death. Mankind can resort to holograms and avatars and transhumanism and brain uploading and cryonics, freezing, I didn't mention that. There's one constant so far in history of men pursuing eternal life. None of them have succeeded outside of Christ. None. None. And hear this loud and clear. God determines the length of mankind's days. Technology isn't going to determine the length of days. Digital avatars, transhumanism, that those, you talk about fairy tale stuff. God determines length of days. God gives life and God takes life. Everyone has an appointment with death. There's an appointment on the man once to die and then the judgment. That's the facts. Mankind's only solution to the death problem, folks, is Jesus Christ. Jesus said it loud and clear in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except by me. He's the only way. There are no other roads. There aren't multiple roads. Choose your roads like Oprah says. Oh no. There is one way and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now why do we believe that? Because Jesus said it. And Jesus always tells the truth. The cry of Christ to those on the good guy quest for eternal life is to turn to Christ and live. The final invitation in the Bible is Revelation 22, 17. It'll come up on the screen. Watch what it says. And the spirit and the bride say, what does he say? Come, come, come and follow. Come and follow. Come and follow. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Come. Jesus could not be louder, could not be clearer. Come and follow me. He's, he's reaching out. He's actually drawing you, pleading. Come follow me, rich man. Come follow me, you who have not known him. Come follow me. The question is, will you? It's a gift. You have to take it. Will you choose rust or will you choose life? Will you look at the evidence or will you ignore the evidence? Will you try to rationalize your decisions? Will you finally say, I believe in you, Jesus, or will you again say no? I do not have enough faith to be an atheist, folks, and I hope you don't either. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do your work in the hearts of each person here today. If someone here does not know you as their Savior, if someone that is listening to me in one of the technological venues don't know you as Savior, Lord, all you have to do, folks, is to believe and receive the gift. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, Lord Jesus. I receive the gift that you are giving me, that you died in my place, you paid the price for my sins, and I believe that you did that for me. I receive it for myself personally. If you do that, you will be saved. Born again into the family of God. I pray that happens right now in anybody that hears this talk. 
Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to each heart here today, wherever we are, and draw us closer and closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.